Bright Metal Audio presents The Blood Miles by Andrew Moody, read by the author. Volume 1 Chapter 5 I don't remember them hitting me. I don't remember them putting me in the cage. But that was where I woke up. There was straw and cold metal under me and a throbbing pain inside of my face. Another pain in the back of my head was pulsing like a sound meter with the various noises echoing about. I could hear a dog barking and, much closer, angry voices. Lady, if you come near me with that thing, I'm going to shove it through your eyeball, said a man's voice. I'm not joking. I tried to open my eyes. There was a blurry impression of crisscrossed metal bars and a room of concrete and steel. Four metres away, I could see the outline of someone, a woman, in a white coat, standing with her back to me. Well, if you won't cooperate, she was saying, I'll have to subdue you as I did before, but I'd much prefer you submit willingly. Why don't you look at it as a chance to save the animals from testing? If you're looking for volunteers, why don't you test it on yourself or one of your friends, said the man's voice. As my eyes began to focus, I realised that the man was in a cage, and that I was in a cage. Other smaller cages around the walls held rabbits, rats and cats. A larger cage to my right had a pig in it. The place smelled of disinfectant, animal waste and fear. The woman in the white coat was speaking again. I could see now that she had one hand in her pocket and another resting on a wheeled trolley. Well, who would run the experiment if I did it on myself, she said. I know you think this is about the hostility between our towns, but it is much bigger than that. It is about the future of the species. Surely even you Gaians understand that sometimes you have to make sacrifices for the greater good of everybody. We let people make their own sacrifices in Gaia, said the man. Then why don't you think of it as an opportunity for self-sacrifice? You'll be contributing to... While she was speaking, I had been sitting up, and in the process was discovering other places I was sore. I groaned, causing the woman to break off and look around at me. She gave me a friendly smile of gum and stubby, discoloured teeth, and came over to the door of my enclosure. Oh, hello, you're awake. I understand that your name is Chris Walker. I'm Dr. Vera Eugenia. I'm really pleased that I will have you helping with our studies. Your face looks quite sore. Can I get you some analgesics to take away the pain? What? Why am I in here? I said. She began to answer, but the man from Gaia was quicker. You're a lab rat. She wants to test her drugs on you. They're going to shoot you up with junk and cook your brain. I felt my muscles go rigid. My vision suddenly became clear. Across the room, I could see the man looking at me. He was a gaunt figure, sitting cross-legged in his cage, wispy beard, long-corded hair and coarse woven clothes. Is that true? I said. No, said the doctor. Yes, it is, said the man. If you don't believe me, take a look at Charlie over there. He was normal before she started on him. He gestured over to one side of the room, where when I tilted my head I could see another large cell containing a middle-aged man in a dirty singlet and ripped trousers. He was sitting with his knees up, staring blankly at a heap of different coloured buttons. That is absolutely not the case, said the doctor. She came across the room and positioned her body so that I couldn't see the man who kept interrupting her. Mr. Percy was suffering from an advanced form of tox fixation when he was brought to me. The compounds we have administered to him have relieved him of that. So he doesn't want anything at all, shouted the man from Gaia. Will you be quiet, the doctor said. She turned and walked back across the room, 
and now I saw that in the hand that she'd been keeping in her pocket, she had some sort of canister. Before the man in the cage had time to see it, she brought it up and sprayed a jet of liquid into his face. He lunged at the bars, swore at the woman, and collapsed. "'Please learn from this, Mr. Walker,' she said breathlessly, as she fumbled open the catch on the man's cage and filled a syringe from her trolley. "'I would much prefer to do this with my subject's cooperation in a gradual fashion, but Mr. Wilde left me no choice. I hope you and I can have a better working relationship when the time comes.' I watched her and felt the blood hammering in my ears. What kind of madhouse had I been dragged into? I didn't see her again for the rest of the day. The man in the other cell slept. I passed my time trying to think of ways to escape. I noticed that the doors of the cages were kept secure with two mechanisms. An electronic lock that the doctor and her assistant opened with a card of some kind, and also a simple sliding latch that they pulled up after they'd used the card. I couldn't get at either of these mechanisms from inside my cage, though I realised that I could probably unlock the latch if I had something flat and rigid to slip between the door and the frame. A knife would do it. But there was no knife. When lunchtime came, an orderly came and passed me a bowl of cold porridge, without a spoon, and a cup of water. In the afternoon, I heard the siren go off again. It sounded close, but muffled, as if it was coming through layers of dirt or concrete. When they finally dimmed the lights, I tried to find a way to sleep. Somebody had left a pile of sacking in one corner, but it didn't do much to cushion my hip and shoulder against the hard metal of the floor. The best I could manage for most of the night was a fragmentary patchwork of semi-conscious discomfort. But eventually I did sleep, and dream. I was hiding under a bridge, and there was smoke in the air, and there was something that I couldn't see, watching me. When I awoke, the man from Gaia was back in his cross-legged position with his head down. I said good morning to him and asked him how he was. There was no response. Nor did he answer Dr. Eugenia when she came and made her rounds an hour or two later. Well, I'm not sure if you can hear me, Mr. Wilde. But if I can't communicate with you, I'll have to assume that our tests with you are complete and we'd no longer have any use for you. Please bear that in mind if you are simply being stubborn. She waited a long time, but he didn't respond. Very well she said. What are you going to do with him? I said. If his brain is gone, there is no point in keeping his body, she said, looking round at me. We'll euthanize him and feed him into our protein tanks. It'll be completely painless. How can you do that? He's a person, I said, half horrified for him and half terrified for myself. Well, yes, that is one for the philosophers, she said. As far as I am concerned, if he doesn't have a working mind, he can't care what we do to him. But he's sitting up. She stuck her hands in her pockets and sighed. Really, this isn't something I want to talk about right now, Mr. Walker. The more pressing issue to discuss is your involvement with this project. You want to give me that stuff too, I said, suddenly finding it hard to breathe. Yes, but there's no need to be alarmed. If you agree to cooperate, we'll start on a much lower dose. That would be the ideal situation for all of us. But eventually I'll end up like him, I said, pointing to the man from Gaia. No, it might not come to that at all. The goal of the treatment isn't to incapacitate you but to suppress the overstimulation of your orbitofrontal cortex caused by the tox. She paused. I supposed she was waiting for me to ask a question, but I had far too many thoughts flying around in my head. She went on anyway. We believe that the tox is uh, primarily a kind of affective disorder that causes runaway emotional reactions. For some people, that means rage. For others, obsessive monomania or grandiosity and so on. The drug we are going to give you tamps down those reactions so you can think clearly without so much emotional noise. So what does cooperating mean? I said, trying to make sense of what she was saying. 
It mostly means we would ask you questions about how you're feeling and how you perceive things so we can find out how the treatment is affecting you. Otherwise, our only option is to give you a dose that's big enough to allow us to observe the changes from the outside. I want to think about it for a while. Of course. You can let me know when I come back this afternoon. She turned and pushed her trolley out of the room, and I went back to trying to work out how to break out of my enclosure. I still thought the best bet was the lock, but I had no idea how to get at it. The only other possibility I could imagine would be to find a weak weld and force out one of the steel grills. I tried a couple of kicks, but nothing gave way. And then, just as I was lining up for the third, somebody spoke. You should stop that. If they hear you, they'll come and spree you with water or something. It was the man from Gaia. He was looking up at me with a pale face and drooping eyelids, but his voice was clear. I stopped what I was doing and came to the front of the cage. You're awake. Did you know the doctor just came by? I heard her, he said. I didn't feel like talking to her. Aren't you... Didn't you hear what she said about? About killing me if I didn't respond? Yeah, I heard that too. I looked at him, wondering at the tone of his voice. It was as if he just made a comment about the weather at the end of a long day. He didn't seem angry or upset, just a bit tired. What had the doctor's injection done to him? So are you going to say something to her? I said. Why? So she doesn't kill you? She'll do that anyway. Yeah, I said, but... But maybe not straight away. Doesn't make any difference how long it takes. But we might find a way to escape. Or or maybe she said she'd stop it if they got the right dose. We'll still die, he answered, even if we get out of here. I racked my brain for something to say. It seemed clear to me that the drug had made him depressed. But if you let Vera kill him, I'd be here on my own. Haven't you got friends or family waiting for you back in Gaia, I said. But the man had given up on our conversation and returned to the same stationary posture he had before. I tried asking him other questions about his hometown and how he'd been captured, but he ignored or didn't hear them. And of course I had my own thoughts to work through. I wasn't exactly ready when she returned in the afternoon, but I had my answer worked out. I'll cooperate. I'll let you inject me and I'll answer your questions. I had hoped that my voice would sound strong and casual, but it came out breathy and uneven like I was a kid. I swallowed and went on. But I've got three conditions. The smile that had appeared on her face immediately vanished. What conditions? First, you don't do anything to Mr. Wilde. Second, I want a mattress and a blanket. Third, I want a book from the library. I can tell you where to find it. She looked up at the ceiling and then at the door. I could hear the rats running back and forth in the straw of their cage. All right, she said. All right, I think we can manage those things. We'll do your baseline test straight away and give you the first dose, and then I'll ask one of the orderlies to bring the things you requested. The baseline test turned out to be a series of questions that ranged from simple problem-solving to moral dilemmas and emotional responses. She asked me whether it would be permissible to kill a newborn child to save the lives of three older children. I said no. She brought out an ancient music device and played me a recording of rippling piano that sounded, as I said to her, like sunlight and like the sea. Have you ever seen the sea before? She asked, looking slightly annoyed. No, but that's what it makes me feel like, what I imagine about the sea. Interesting, she said. All right, if you would pull up your sleeve and press your shoulder to the bars, I will give you your injection. The injection made me really sleepy for a few hours. When I woke up, there was a thin mattress leaning against the wall of my cage. The grey leather book with the X mark was on the floor next to it. 
I reached across to pick it up, but stopped even as my fingers touched the cover. My arm was the wrong colour. Or really, it wasn't any colour. It was grey. Everything was grey. The orange conduit on the concrete ceiling, the blue drum of cleaning agent by the rabbit cage, the rainbow patchwork on the trousers of the man from Gaia. I'm... I'm colour blind, I said out loud without meaning to. It does that, said the man in the cage without moving from his meditating position. You lose your sense of taste and smell too. What else? I said, trying to control my voice once again. He was silent for a long time and I thought he'd gone back to ignoring me. But then suddenly he raised his head and looked at me with a kind of intensity that I hadn't seen before. It makes you see through everything, he said. Everything. Nothing really matters. I came here to rescue the animals, but why? They'll all die anyway. Maybe in worse ways than they would here. They'll get arthritis or starve or get eaten by parasites. He lowered his head, but then raised it again as if a new thought had struck him. Gaia, Ockham, we're all fixated. We'll latch onto one thing and fight for it, like it's the one thing that'll make everything right. They think it's about controlling nature and we think it's about living in harmony with it, but, but we're both wrong. The world is toxed. We live and suffer and then we're dead forever, and it doesn't mean anything. I thought for a moment and remembered something that Harry Frieden had said to me. Some people would say that that makes everything mean more. If this is all we've got, it means everything. People say that, he said, but it's wrong. Why? It only works if you can keep yourself from remembering the truth. Now he leaned forward with his fingers against the mesh of his cage, as if he was coming alive for a moment, as if he was suddenly furious. Look, if I told you that Vera was going to come in here in two minutes and inject you with something that would kill you, and there was nothing you could do about it, do you reckon that would make your final seconds mean more or less? But that's just two minutes, I said. It's different for... It should be more true for two minutes, he said. Less time, more meaning. I tried to read the book that afternoon, but the damage to my vision and the things the man had been saying were such distractions that I couldn't concentrate. I kept thinking about not being able to see the colours in the dawn sky or taste the purple berries along the pipeline. I thought about never being able to enjoy the prismatic shimmer on the fish scales back in Marge's tanks. When they switched off the lights, I curled up on my mattress and cried until I fell asleep. Dr. Yagenya returned the next morning with more questions and another injection. She played me a tune, which seemed to have a strong rhythm, and asked me to imagine whether it would be right to eat a dead person to keep from starving. I said, no, after a long time thinking about it. Will this be permanent, I asked her, this stuff you're doing to me? It shouldn't be a long-term problem, she said, because it'll wear off or because you'll kill me. She means the second thing, said the man from Gaia, and then she sprayed him with the canister again. After I had woken up from my post-injection sleep, I sat on my mattress and began to read from the road book. It opened with a description of the Autonomous Zone, the Western Territory, as it was called then, before the war, its river systems, fish species and hardwood forests. It itemised the production sectors, the wheat yields, the wool clip and grape harvest. It spoke about populations and railways and hospitals and annual rainfall. And for as long as I was reading the book, my thoughts which had been constantly buzzing in my head, became still. I thought of thunderstorms and the smell of the rain on the warm earth, 
I imagined people travelling for miles and miles, free and unmolested in cars and trains, past sheep and cattle and ripening fields. I thought of what it would have been like to have friends in other towns, and to be able to go east to the great city itself. When I looked up after reaching the end of the chapter, I was surprised to find that my sense of colour had returned. Hey, I called to the man from Gaia. I read this book and it fixed my eyes. Do you want to see if it works for you? He let me read it to him, but it was like the words that moved me so much fell dead in the space between our cages. So even then they were chopping down trees and sleeving animals, was all he said. I don't know if it made any difference to his eyesight, but I soon discovered that even for me it wasn't a permanent or predictable cure. Over the following days, my sense of colour and smell came and went. The injections made everything grey, but sometimes, not every time, reading the book restored my senses. And not just my physical senses, something similar was happening to my feelings too. As time went on, I found it harder to care about things, about the questions Vera asked me, about the music she played me, about my own situation. But the book could help with this too, mostly by making me angry. I discovered this as I started reading the beginnings of the rebellion. At school, our teachers had told us that the war had begun with Central trying to stop the Territory from getting access to new farming technology. It was all about the Pantarch and his personal monopolies. But the road book talked about how the Foreign Corp had started bribing the big farmers to use their illegal gene hacks. The hacks produced massive crop yields and made the wealthy men of the Territory even wealthier. But they also stripped the soil of its nutrients. When their own land failed, the rich men bought up the land of the poorer farmers who had resisted the technology and used up their soil too. As I read about all this, about how the money from the corpse and the hacks had corrupted the courts, how the big farmers had used their banking connections to choke their smaller competitors, I suddenly realised that I was grinding my teeth. When I got to the point where the scientists started experimenting on orphans, all the muscles in my neck became painfully rigid and my clenched knuckles went white. I had to stop reading to let myself calm down for a while then. But later that same day, when the doctor asked me whether it would be wrong for a town to give more food to families with healthy children who would be better able to become productive citizens, I almost shouted, Yes, very wrong! Yet in the same test session, I found that I could now barely recognise whatever it was she played to me as music. It's just a kind of scratchy sound, I said. Unfortunately for me, Vera realised what was going on. I'm afraid I'm going to have to take that book from you, she said the next morning. It's interfering with our results. But we made a deal, I said. I'll give it back to you when we're done. No, I said. Well, you know what I can do if I have to. It's still no. If your treatment can't survive somebody reading a book, what good is it going to be in the real world? She put her hands in her pockets and moved close to the wire. I moved to the back of the cage. In the background, the siren had started again. A dull thud passed through the walls. Please try to be reasonable, Mr Walker, she said. Surely you can see that we need to test it under optimal conditions first. I'm sticking to our agreement, I said. If you want me to keep cooperating, you should do the same. She pulled the canister out of her pocket but stopped as I did what I had planned to do and pulled up my shirt to cover my nose and mouth. Two more thuds reverberated through the ground. Well, I'm sorry, but this is not acceptable. I will have to have you restrained physically. She swiped her security card past the lock on my cage and called out to her assistant. I braced myself and prepared to fight. And then the wall exploded. <laughs>